Welcome. It's August 4, 2021, and you're listening to the Caravan Podcast, a venture of the Herbert and Jane Dwight Working Group on the Middle East and the Islamic World at the Hoover Institution. The Working Group publishes research and commentary on the Middle East with questions for U.S. policy. You can find our work at hoover.org slash caravan. I'm Cole Bunzel, a fellow at the Hoover Institution and member of the Working Group, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Professor Bernard Haeckel. Dr. Haeckel is a professor of Near Eastern Studies at Princeton University, as well as the director of Princeton's Institute for the Transregional Study of the Contemporary Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asia. He's the author and editor of books on Yemen and Saudi Arabia, countries that he knows particularly well, and where he has spent considerable time conducting field research. Recently, he contributed an essay to the Hoover Caravan series on the situation in Yemen, titled The Houthis, Saudi Arabia, and the War in Yemen. And today, I'll be asking him about his essay. Bernard, thank you very much for coming on the Caravan Podcast. Thank you, Cole. It's a pleasure to be here. First of all, I just want to say thank you for writing this piece for us. I found it to be uh, very illuminating about the conflict in Yemen, and especially the Houthis and their ideology, which is something that there really doesn't seem to be a lot of research on in the academy or in the West more generally. Uh, but before we, we come to the Houthis and their peculiarities, uh, perhaps we could begin just by setting the stage a little bit uh, and talking about the conflict from a bird's eye view. So could you tell us uh, just something about the main actors in question in the Yemen conflict? Uh, what do they want and, and what it is that they're fighting for? Right. So uh, it's a very, very complicated um, uh, conflict with lots of different internal um, uh, actors. Um, it's ultimately... Uh, uh, and in the final analysis, a civil war between different Yemeni factions that has brought in outside um, powers and outside uh, forces, namely Saudi Arabia and Iran, um, in, into the conflict. Um, the, the Yemeni actors, you have the Houthi movement, they call themselves the Ansar Allah. They're basically a movement from the northern highlands of the Yemen. They are people who are led by a descendants of the Prophet, a group called the Sayyids in Yemen. Um, and they seek to uh, recreate a, uh, a, political, uh, a political entity that is ruled and dominated by this group, by this group of descendants of the Prophet. And they have broader uh, ambitions and claims for leadership, not just in Yemen, but throughout the Muslim world. Um, they're a revolutionary movement. And uh, they have a, a complicated history uh, that involves several wars with the central government in Yemen. Um, that was in the early 2000s, uh, from 2004 to 2010. And they're probably the single most powerful milit 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 you know, militant group in the country with a very uh, clearly defined ideology. And, uh, and I suspect that if uh, left, if Yemen was abandoned by these outside powers, the Houthis would probably take over the country. And they control, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, perhaps not all, um, the majority of Yemen, but they do control the most, uh, most of the population, some two thirds That's right. of That's right. the country in that sense. That's right. Most yeah. of the population is in the highlands, uh, in what used to be called the Yemen Arab Republic before 1990. Um, that's where most of the rainfall, uh, you know, catches the monsoon, um, uh, winds and that's where most of the rainfall is, where most of the agriculture is, and therefore historically where most of the population is located. Now, the majority of the Yemeni population is actually not doesn't belong to the same sect as the Houthis. They are Shafi'i Sunnis, but they are not organized, nor are they uh, tribally, um, 
you know, militarized in the same way as the, as the Houthis are. And therefore, they're dominated by the Houthis. Now, there are other actors in this conflict. You have the Muslim Brotherhood in a movement called the Islah Movement, which is uh, dominated by Shafi'is. Um, and you also have the central, the, the remnant of, of the central Yemeni government, which is led by someone from the south. Um, and they are, and then you have different factions from uh, the old regime of Ali Abdullah Saleh, the president who uh, mm-hmm. ruled Yemen for 33 years. And then you have a southern secessionist movement in the south. So it's a very, very complicated um, uh, situation with many different actors and with lots of infighting between them. Yeah, I often read about the quote-unquote Saudi-led coalition, but it looks like when you look a little bit deeper, uh, it's hard to really identify something uh, so simple. You even have the the UAE and the Saudis have their own their own backed groups that are at, at odds with each other, um, and that seems That's to right. be a big part of the reason why um, they're not able to um, to stand up to the Houthis. That's 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 certainly right. There, so the 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 people that the Saudis and the United Arab Emirates have have wanted to rely on and have tried to rely on are themselves internally divided between themselves. Also, um, frankly, their a war economy has developed so such that these groups that are supposedly allied with each other and and with Saudi Arabia are uh, benefiting hugely from the money that the Saudis and until recently the UAE. Was, was spending in the country. So when you have people who benefit from the continuation of war rather than, uh, you know, coming to a negotiated settlement, you don't end up with, with peace at all, right? Right. Um, so I want to get back to uh, not necessarily the very beginnings of this conflict, but the more immediate origins seem to begin in, uh, in 2014. The Houthis take the capital in Sana'a in, I believe, September 2014. And the beginning of next year, in 2015, the Saudis uh, begin an intervention that's largely um, centered um, on air power, and projection of force via air power. Um, how, how has this uh, developed for, for the Saudis? Um, the war seemed to be something that they thought that they might be able to, to win in, in short order, but that doesn't yeah. seem to have materialized. What do you yeah, think no, that it's, is? It's gone very badly for the Saudis, and simply because um, the Houthis are extremely uh, motivated I mean, they have a, a strong ideology and they have a will, the will to fight, uh, especially since the Houthis have mobilized, in addition to their own ideology, a strong sense of Yemeni nationalism, which exists. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, Yemenis have therefore allied themselves uh, in the highlands with the Houthis against what they perceive to be an external aggression uh, f- from Saudi Arabia. And the Saudis actually, uh, for quite quite a few years were very indiscriminate in the way they were bombing in Yemen. And so a lot of casualties, civilian casualties resulted and that alienated the population. They also were bombing, you know, uh, infrastructure and water and facilities and bridges and that sort of thing. And that further alienated the population. So the Saudi, so this war has gone really badly for the Saudis. At the same time, I think the Saudis realized from early on that the Yemenis are fighters, you know, Yemen, just like Afghanistan um, has been known as the graveyard of empires. The Ottomans, on two occasions, uh, tried to control Yemen, and both times uh, failed due to Yemeni resistance. Um, the Egyptians tried the same in the 1960s. They also failed uh, uh, against Egyptian resistance. And I think the Saudis realized that if they sent ground troops into Yemen, that they would probably get um, very 
large numbers of, of body bags and casualties and that that would be hugely unpopular in Saudi Arabia, which is why they've contained the war largely to, uh, from their side to using air power. So the Houthis have also been, um, as we've seen a lot in the press, they've been firing uh, rockets and drones uh, toward toward Riyadh, even all the way up to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. Um, then the Houthis, of course, they present this as retaliation for for yes. the Saudi air campaign. Um, I mean, do you do you think that they have they have a case um, in in carrying out those? those kinds of attacks, if they, I mean, if they were to just renounce that sort of uh, what we see as terrorism, um, what kind of pressure would they able to be able to put on Saudi Arabia? Yeah. So I think that, you know, the Houthi ambition is really to control and dominate Yemen. That's what they really want to be able to accomplish. Um, and they want to show the Saudis that they cannot be defeated. And the aim of using missiles, which, by the way, they inherited from the previous regimes, uh, regime, these are Scud missiles that have been updated with Iranian help. And the, and the drones are from Iran. And they also have naval drones as well and mines that they've gotten from Iran. And the Houthi-Iranian relationship is an interesting one and well worth pursuing as well, uh, if you want, later on. Um, yes, definitely. But the, the, the Houthis essentially want to tell the Saudis that you can't defeat us. We are here to stay. We're here to dominate the country. And you have to come to terms with, with that reality, with that fact. It's kind of like what the Viet Cong did to the Americans and what the Taliban are doing to the Americans now. Um, and, yes, and in your piece, you make a couple of uh, these, these allusions to the similarities between the Houthis and the Taliban. Um, yeah. The kind of negotiating tactic. Um, the lack of any interest that they really have in, in ending the conflict while they currently have the advantage, the military advantage. Um, it does seem worth uh, a pretty good comparison. Yeah. Um, there's one other, can, yeah. Uh, sorry. There's Go one ahead. other comparison, which I made in the piece. I mean, it was just, it's a, it, it was a throwaway kind of comment in the piece, which is to compare the Houthis to the Khmer Rouge in, uh, in, in Southeast Asia. And, and, and the reason I made that comparison is because it, the Houthis are not just a kind of um, Viet Cong-like rebel movement that's fighting, uh, you know, uh, to control the country. They also have a cultural project, a cultural religious project, which is to transform the religiosity and the religious practice and belief of Yemenis, including those who are traditional Zaydis who don't agree with their views, as well as Sunni Shafi's. And you can see this by, for instance, the imposition of new uh, religious festivals like the one we just th that was just held in Yemen uh, which uh, is called the uh, Yom al-Wilaya the day of the um, uh, you know of the delegation of authority to to Ali by Muhammad in uh, by the prophet Muhammad they're trying to impose a kind of very radical Shiite uh, view on the rest of the population yeah, I wanted to come actually uh, just to this this topic, the the ideology of the Houthis, which is something that I don't think a lot of people know anything about. A lot of the time, uh, the impression seems to be that this is a carbon copy of Hezbollah and Lebanon. But you you argue that it really isn't um, that that analogy isn't entirely accurate. That we have to look at the the actual uh, writings of the spiritual founder of this movement, Hossein al Houthi. Um, who's, is it his brother or his son, Abdel Malik al-Houthi? Uh, I think it's his brother, his brother who is the current leader. Yeah, he's the current leader of the movement um, and is sort of his, his spiritual heir. Uh, could you tell us about his thought, uh, Hussein al-Houthi? I know you've read 
something like a 2000 page tract by him. That is his collected, his collected works. Yeah. So he's a fascinating character who died in 2004. So Hussein al-Houthi um, belongs to the Sayyid family, this, this, the family of uh, prominent scholars from, who are descendants who claim descent from the Prophet Muhammad. And he is someone who uh, was a political uh, figure. He was a member of parliament in the 1990s and then eventually despaired uh, because of the authoritarian politics of Ali Abdullah Saleh, the then president of Yemen. He went to the Sudan and where he pursued some a study, some graduate work there. And in the Sudan, he seems to have encountered, uh, uh, this was when Hassan al-Turabi and when the Muslim Brotherhood had taken over in, in the Sudan under Omar al-Bashir. And in the Sudan, it seems that Hussein al-Houthi was um, exposed to all kinds of different Islamist ideas from those of al-Qaeda to Hezbollah um, to those of the Muslim Brotherhood. And he came up with his own kind of uh, concoction of Islamist uh, ideology, which he then preached in a series of lectures from 2002 till 2004. These lectures were then transcribed and collected in a volume, which is now basically the Bible, if you like, uh, of, of the movement. It's the, it's the book that they all refer to. It's a bit like the Red Book, uh, Mao's Red Book, or and it, you can find it on... Uh, and on an app uh, for, um, you know, on, on t- a telephone app. Uh, and it is what is taught uh, in all schools in, in Yemen today, where the Houthis control and dominate. It is the, the reference text for the movement. And it is, you know, several, I mean, I can't remember exactly. It's t- 2,000 pages long. Um, some of it is in classical Arabic. Some of it is in colloquial Yemeni Arabic. Um, and it's very rambling. And uh, tech, a very rambling text. But there, you can see very clearly that Ayatollah Khomeini plays a huge role in his in his ideology. He constantly quotes Ayatollah Khomeini, but not just Ayatollah Khomeini. I mean, he's also quoting uh, other figures. And you can see that uh, Al Qaeda's ideology is there. The Muslim Brotherhood's ideology is also influencing him. Uh, and unlike uh, Hezbollah where Hezbollah really believes in the doctrine of the guardianship of the jurists, which is Khomeini's doctrine, and they follow the supreme leader in Iran and obey his orders. The Houthis have their own uh, ideology, which is quite radical, much more primitive uh, in, in, in what they're calling uh, for mm-hmm. than that of Khomeini. Uh, they jettison most of Islamic legal uh, um, uh, concepts. Uh, all of Islamic jurisprudence is considered to have been an error. Most of it, they want to go back to the Quran. They want to go back to the teachings of the early uh, of the of the family of the Prophet. So even the the Zaydi Shi'i uh, religious movement in Yemen, uh, from which I presume he he uh, derives, they they jettison that too. They jettison that most whole, of it. Yeah, that they whole history and legacy. Yeah, yeah, they jettison most of it and they go back to. Uh, a, an imagined early primitive form of Zaydism, uh, of the early imams. He considers the later imams, later meaning after the 11th, 12th century, to have corrupted the true message of Zaydism. And so, wow. so and, and they have a doctrine of, this, of a supreme leader, uh, which they call the Alam um, al-Huda. This is the banner of guidance. And that's the official name of the leader of the movement, the banner of guidance. And he's, he's, a, he's like a caliph, He's even more than a caliph because he is mm-hmm. um, someone who is in, a direct descendant of the prophet. He's a descendant of Ali, and he can uh, essentially do whatever he wants in terms of interpretation of the law and of theology. 
it's pretty it's pretty radical reminds me actually of uh ismailism a bit i think that they had a spiritual leader that kind of was a titular uh caliph um there are a lot of titular caliphs in Islamic history that I think, and hypothetically, they, they claim leadership of the entire Islamic world. Um, but you also write in this piece that the, the political agenda of the Houthis is primarily local. I um, mean, they're not yeah. really going around asserting their religious authority over the people of Iraq or Syria, right? That's true. Um, so how do they That's square? True. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, they, they're not, they don't have to come clean about everything that they intend or what it is they want. But it's clear that they're using an anti-imperialist, anti-American, anti-Israel, even anti-Jewish um, uh, uh, you know, set of arguments and, and rhetorical moves that they make. Um, they have a super simplistic ideology that's uh, summarized in their, what they call the shout, the sarcha, which is, you know, that basically God is great, death to America, death to Israel, cursed be the Jews, um, victory to Islam, God is great. You know, that's it. That's their slogan. Yeah. That's their banner. That's their flag. And that and, seems to be and, very much so related to the Iranian sort of shout, yeah. as it were. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a, definitely they picked things up from the Iranian revolution. But essentially, they're using all of this to dominate Yemeni society and to, and to, and to, to be in power over Yemeni society. Um, and, and they are a kind of revanchist movement of descendants of the prophet who were sidelined by the republic. So the Yemen, Yemen became a republic in 1962. And these Sayyid families, especially those in the very north, on the Saudi border in a town called Saba, they were completely marginalized and discriminated against and persecuted by the central government, which tried to impose a Salafi Sunni form of Islam on the whole country. And so this is their revenge. They've come back and they want to now get rid of any vestige of Salafism or of this kind of Sunni form of Islam uh, that, that had marginalized them, essentially. And they really see, it seems that they really see the United States to be kind of uh, involved in, in the, the geopolitics of the region. And they're very much along with Iran or in league with Iran, uh, opposed to, to the United States presence. I, I just, uh, I was looking at some of the speeches of Abdel Malik al-Houthi, the current leader of the movement. And you can see some rather crazy anti-imperialist rhetoric uh, coming out of his mouth. He yeah. said something to the effect that the United States deliberately released and spread the AIDS virus. Um, I mean, this yeah. is like Qaddafi-esque sort of stuff. Yeah, they, they say all kinds of wild things, conspiracy, uh, and you know clearly it 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 you know it has some currency with their with the Yemeni population, which if you you have to remember, is um, a country with very high rates of illiteracy, very poor education um, le levels of education, um, and you know they they are pushing this anti imperialism because it clearly seems to rally the crowds to their to their side. Um, all they've brought, though, as far as I can tell, is death and destruction to their country and misery. Um, I mean, certainly the Saudis and the other Yemeni factions are also responsible for a lot of the misery. But the Houthi areas, um, you know, are particularly uh, badly affected, and 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 this is a part, and this is in part because of them, not just because of the blockade. Right. So there is a Saudi-led blockade, and there is also the Houthis uh, resisting, I think, humanitarian uh, intervention. Isn't that right? Yeah. And they, they also, you know, uh, you know, they want to, if, they, if any humanitarian aid comes in, 
they end up, um, you know, taxing it. Um, they distribute it in very selective fashion to only their supporters. Um, so they are, you know, they're, they're not good guys in the sense that um, they're not helping all Yemenis uh, in, in the areas that they control and that they, that they, um, that they rule over. Okay, so now I want to come to the the U.S. role uh, in the Yemen conflict, which is also something that you write about. There have, of course, been a number of significant steps undertaken by the Biden administration since coming to office. One was the the delisting of the Houthis as a foreign terrorist organization. Another was the appointment of a U.S. special envoy for Yemen, Tim Lenderking. A third was the announcement that the U.S. would cease the support quote unquote offensive Saudi military operations in Yemen, including restrictions on arms sales. I'm curious how you evaluate these steps of the Biden administration and its approach more generally. So I think the Biden administration came into office thinking that there was one uh, culprit, one sort of one side that was responsible for all the uh, chaos and suffering in Yemen, and that was Saudi Arabia. And that if only you put pressure on the Saudis, everything would be honky dory, and the and the Houthis would, um, you know, be grateful for being delisted, from, uh, you know, removed from the terrorism list, and so on. In fact, uh, and that's exactly what happened. The Biden administration came, and they 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 gave the Houthis this uh, gift by making them um, uh, declared not to be terrorists. Uh, this is something that was being pushed, by the way, by the International Crisis Group and by people like Rob Malley, who are now the special envoys to Iran. So this was all seen as sort of a gift, I guess, to the Iranians. The Houthis doubled down and, in fact, you know, spat in the face of the Americans by saying, you know, we're going to attack Riyadh more, we're going to send more missiles, we're going to uh, attack Ma'rib and take it over. And so rather than mollifying or pacifying the Houthis, in fact, it just had the exact opposite reaction, which is what we're seeing, by the way, with the Iranians today as well. Um, and uh, and then they, the, then the, the Biden administration realized it's not just about Saudi Arabia, because the Saudis also offered a, a made a peace offering to the Houthis, which was rejected. Um, and so the Biden administration then realized that despite all the talk and uh, about the about the evil Saudis, that Yemen is more complicated than that. And and the the one good thing they did do was to send Tim Lenderking, mm-hmm. who's a who's a, an official from the State Department, a, you know, a very very uh, intelligent, sophisticated, knowledgeable person who knows that region extremely well, and I think who has played a key role in educating Biden and and his advisors that Yemen is not just just about Saudi Arabia, that it, that there's an internal dynamic that's more much more complicated. So another theory is that in the negotiations for the revival of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iran nuclear deal, that we, there might be some way to insert the, the Yemen file and, and, and in a sense get the Iranians to put pressure on the Houthis to, to come to some sort of agreement. Do you see that as, as a plausible outcome here? Or is that also... I, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think the Iranians love uh, what's happening in Yemen because it's a very easy and cheap way. And by cheap, I mean, you know, inexpensive, uh, doesn't require um, resources uh, for for the Iranians to put tremendous pressure on, on the Saudis. You know, Yemen is to Saudi Arabia what Mexico is to the United States. I mean, it is an extre- strategically extremely important country. It's the soft underbelly of Saudi Arabia. It's the country with the largest population on the Arabian Peninsula, and clearly with very 
you know, with good fighters and very well armed population. So, uh, so, so Yemen is a real threat to to the Saudis, and for uh, the Houthis to be uh, constantly needling the Saudis with by attacking them on the border or through missiles and drones um, is a perfect way to keep the Saudis. Um, you know, in a crouch, which is what I think the Iranians want, where exactly the Iranians want want the Saudis to be. All right. So the Iranians are pretty happy with the situation. The Houthis seem to be uh, happy pressing ahead with their military uh, operations to control most of, I mean, more of Yemen, including the strategic uh, city and governorate of Matrib, as you mentioned. Um, so when it comes to Saudi Arabia, which they must have realized that their initial um, their initial uh, interest in and in bringing the war to a swift end in 2015, that's not going to happen. So what do you think a kind of acceptable or palatable outcome for the Saudis is these days? I mean, what, what do they see as, as a potential resolution uh, to this conflict? I think uh, what the Saudis want is for, uh, you know, for Yemen to, to go away as a headache, you know, and that's just not going to happen. You know, it's not going to yeah. happen. So they, they're going to have to, come to a, a, a strat they're going to have to adopt tactics and a strategy that will contain the um, the instability that's emerging from Yemen it's not obvious what that would would involve uh, clearly it will have to involve some recognition of the Houthis as a permanent um, uh, element of the Yemeni government as a group that will dominate and control at least the northern part of the country and some sort of accommodation and agreement between them between the Saudis and the Houthis will have to be reached. Um, the Houthis will want their pound of flesh. I mean, they'll want lots of money. They'll want, and they've already stated, given terms about what, what, what it is that they want, and they want the moon. You know, they want the Saudis to pay <clears throat> and compensate them and remove the blockade and do all kinds of other things. And the Saudis will have to reach some sort of deal with the Houthis um, about all this. I, I, I personally think that the Saudis ought to, and the, this is where the Americans can play a role uh, with the Saudis, is that the Saudis ought to make an offer with the GCC countries, the other GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council countries, they should make an offer to all Yemenis, an offer that cannot be refused. One that promises, let's say over 10 or 15 years, a very large amount of development aid money, and also the promise that Yemen would uh, be made a member of the GCC, which would then allow Yemenis to work in other GCC countries. In other words, you create a structure that g- gives Yemenis a hope for the future within a kind of a GCC umbrella uh, that, that 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 involves a development and 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 an offer that just simply cannot be refused. And if the Houthis refuse it, then clearly most Yemenis will realize that they have no intention. Uh, to um, bring about a solution to this war and one that has Yemen's best interests at heart. And do you think the Houthis, I mean, do you think that there is a deal that the Houthis would be willing to accept in that regard? Yeah, so that I'm not, I'm not sure, uh, uh, frankly, I'm not sure if there is such a deal because what I'm not clear about with the Houthis is how much of their insane ideology they actually believe and how much right. of it is purely... Uh, you know, used to mobilize the Yemeni population and also to gain control over the country. You know, in other words, how much of their own Kool-Aid have they drunk, you know? And and that I don't think is clear. 
uh, the answer to that is not clear. If you speak to the Saudi leadership, as I have, uh, they say that the Houthis really are committed to their ideology. And, and it's enough to not care about the you know, long-term interests of the country as a whole. And in other words, that they that they really have a revolutionary project and they're going to take over other countries and all the rest of it, that they believe in this kind of insanity of theirs. They're going to well, get rid of America and all the rest, you know. Right. Well, time will certainly tell. They're, I mean, they're not, uh, um, as I said before, um, really operating according to the idea that they, they represent the supreme leadership of the entire Islamic world, at least as far as I can tell. But um, whether they really believe that or not, perhaps that doesn't really matter. Because um, they're focused on Yemen, and that's what they have to give up. Either they're going to, you know, abdicate some of their their power in Yemen, or they're not. Bernard Haeckel, thank you very much for coming on the Caravan Podcast. Once again, you can read Bernard's essay, "The Houthis, Saudi Arabia, and the War in Yemen," on Hoover's website at hoover.org/caravan. Be sure to check it out. My colleague Russell Berman will be back soon for the next episode of the podcast. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.